0: Lord, thank you for God, you being God, having made us in your image. And Lord, you are the great artist, creator of the universe. And you've created such a beautiful, lovely world with such infinite diversity from trees, to flowers, the snowflakes, the galaxies, to people, all different, made in your image. And thank you, Lord, for the gifts of music and the arts, which really are a reflection of you. And so we pray, Lord, bless Steve as he paints. And may we see a bit of your glory, that painting, as we do through music. And we pray as we come to your word, Lord, that you'd speak to us powerfully and meet each one of us, uh, that we may see your face and trust you and depend on you and come out of hiding into your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're doing a series, and the series is actually uh, God's invitation to a beautiful life from Genesis chapters 1 to 3. And really, the theme of the series has been this, has been that, that that the core issue of the garden uh, of their rebellion had to do with fear and their loss of trust in the love of God. And Adam and Eve were called by God to be active, to work, to build the kingdom. Uh, but they were to stop at the limit of the tree. God said, this is one tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat from any tree, but this one tree, don't eat it. And God did not give any instruction why, uh, but he simply called them to trust and surrender to his love and his goodness. And actually, and then, you know, the story unfolds, and we talked about it last week, was, was Satan put in the mind of Eve, and then Adam, you know, God's not for you. He, the reason he put this limit on you, this tree, is because he's holding back on you. He doesn't want you to reach your full potential. and He's, only, he's good, but he's only partially good. And, uh, you know, he's crushing you with these commands, and uh, it's foolish to follow God. And so they, you know, in chapter 3, verse 5, and the serpent said, you won't die if you eat from the tree. God's words are not really true, and and God knows when you eat it, you'll actually your life will get better, and your eyes will be opened, you'll be just like him, knowing good and evil. And it's true, they ate, they, they grasped it, and it's very important. You get they they grasped that tree, which is part of the essence of sin. We grasp, which we're not supposed to grasp. And uh, and it's true they didn't die immediately. They died hundreds of years later, it says in, in Genesis 5. And and uh, and but they were Adam and Eve were attracted to that voice calling them to question God's goodness, don't trust his goodness and his love, cross the limits, grasp, because out of fear of what could happen if you don't. In fact, actually, all the commandments in the Bible, all of them, the issue of every commandment is an issue of trusting in God. For example, God says, do not steal. Well, the reason God says don't steal because God says, trust me. Trust me, I will provide for you and take care of you. God says, don't murder. He's saying, trust me, you don't have to take vengeance. You don't have to murder that person with your, with your tongue. Trust me, the future's in my hands. I'll take care of it. When God says, you know, don't have idols. Don't, don't go running after idols. God's saying, trust me, I'm sufficient for your life. Worship me and me alone. When God says, take a Sabbath and rest, I'm for you. God's saying, trust me, I'll run the world. I'll take care of it. you not worry your life will not fall apart. You can rest one day a week. I'm on the throne. And so all the commandments, and we can take every commandment in the Bible. And there's thousands. God says, it's all about trust. And when God gives them that commandment, don't touch this tree. He's saying, trust me, I'll take care of you, I'll provide for you, I'm the Lord. Okay, but they, but they, they grasp it, and, and, uh, rather than live in God's presence and surrender to his love. And so here we pick it up in this text this morning of, of God's invitation to a beautiful life, and now they've grasped that tree, and they've fallen, they've, they've, they've sinned. And now we, verse 7, we pick up what happens, all right? In fact, I think I wrote it down here on the on the PowerPoint as well. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were both, they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together. Underline that verse in your Bible. And they made coverings for themselves. Underline that. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid, you'll notice the word high twice, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But, circle that word but, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. So, because I was naked, so I hid. Then jumping down to verse twenty one, after God they have this conversation, and Lord then it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. All right. So what I want to talk about today is I want to take this apart. I want to begin by just expounding on fig leaves, fear, and the false self. I just want to kind of expound that out to you, and then we're going to talk about coming out of hiding into the presence of God. But I, I want to just kind of unpack this because these few verses in verses 7 and 10 are so profound, I'm telling you, there is so much here and such depth to them that it really does require meditating on them. In fact, I hope that as we're doing this series on Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you're constantly going back and you're just reading these chapters and meditating on them, letting them sink into you because it's not so much how much Scripture you have in you, it's getting it in, it's getting it in you that we live it. And so anyway, in verse 7, you'll notice... Uh, in verse 10, is that the reason they, they hid was they were afraid. They experienced their nakedness and shame. Now listen, sin is grasping. We talked about this in the previous week, weeks. Grasping that which is not yours, a limit, God says. Trust me in this, and sin can be seen as grasping. On the other end, this section brings out another, perhaps the other big piece of what sin is, which is sowing fig leaves on yourself and hiding from God. Sin is hiding. And actually, there's two stages that go on here. You know, in verse 7, they, they realize they're naked. And they're trying to imagine this. They sew these fig leaves together. It's kind of a combination of sewing pieces together. And they cover themselves. And then when God comes into the garden, it says at that point, not only do they have fig leaves covering them and hiding through fig leaves, at that point, they actually go and hide in the trees. If God doesn't know. And, uh, and they hide. They, 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 they see God as a, now God is a threat now it's God's arrival, someone from whom they need to escape. And instead of trust and dependence on God, which is what it was prior to the fall, just surrendering to his love, now they're establishing their independence from God. In fact, their whole goal is they're trying to find a place where God's presence will not be felt. You know what that's like, don't you? It's want to get away where I don't feel God's presence. And that's what they're doing. They're hiding and uh, so they, they create this fig leaves. And so this whole fear thing kicks in. Many of us know fear, right? We know what it's like to be raised in fear, don't trust the neighbors, you know, don't trust people. And uh, we breathe fear. Some of us, our whole lives are fear. You know, we're afraid of uh, moving. We're afraid of our, our, our jobs, finances, you know, relationships. Our, our whole lives are governed by fear, make all of our decisions by fear. And they're afraid right now. But I mean, how many of us have fears in this room? We're, we just, have, we're just financially afraid about the future. Am I going to make it? Is it going to be okay? Am I going to have enough to live on? Or about your success in your career and, or, you know, in your health. and will, will I be okay? And fears about getting married or fears of, of children or not having children or, or fears of church and things going downhill or being betrayed or fears of being alone. And, and I can go on. Fear of trusting God. If I sur- really surrender to God and trust him, I mean, is he going to wreck my life? And, and we all know these fears that come in. And, and fig leaves fundamentally out of fear is I... I I fundamentally, I'm protecting myself. I'm protecting this vulnerable person inside of me. And it's like a wrapping I put around my life to cover my, my, something I feel ashamed of and my vulnerability. And that's why this great question you have to ask yourself, and you're going to have to write this down and ponder it before God. What is my unique combination of fig leaves? Because there's not just one fig leaf. There's a combination of fig leaves that I sew together to cover up my vulnerable self and hide from God and other people? That's the great question you have to wrestle with. And we will talk about all those ways that I find my security in what I do, or all those ways that I find my security in what I possess, or all those ways I find my sense of worth and, and value in what other people think of me. I mean, think about it. What do, you, what do you have to do to feel acceptable? Or what do you have to have to feel acceptable? Or feel okay? or, or what, what, Whose approval do you need? And, and so, you know, for if, if each of us, it's going to be very different as we go through life, but it is generally a, a combination of, of fig leaves that we cover ourselves as a wrapping so that we're not exposed. Let me try to wrap. Let me, let me give you an example. For example, Let's say I'm in a conversation with Yusuf here. Yeah, you know, we're talking, you know. And in the middle of the conversation, I throw, in a little, I throw in a comment just so he sees me in a better light. So what I've done is, is I put a fig leaf on rather than simply just trust and depend on God's presence and his love for me. Or let's say I'm with somebody and, and I, don't want, I, I know I should say something, but they may not like it. So I don't say anything and I just let it slide because I want to be liked by them. So in the middle of the conversation, I'm not saying anything, but the truth is I just put a, a nice big fig leaf on them. so they don't really see who I am, and that we just kind of go on, rather than trusting, again, in God's presence and his love for me. Or, you know, it's like you're, you're with some people and, or family, and, and everyone's talking about everything you're doing and accomplishing, and you're like, you know, hey, me, you know, I'm doing some things too. And, you know, you, throw, you, you, you put your fig leaf on, rather than just trust in the presence of God and love for you. It's extremely subtle. You know, we get criticized by somebody, and so our natural reaction is what? Hey! You know, defensive, you know, we come out, and, and we put a few fig leaves on, rather than kind of evaluate it and say, what may be true in what they're saying, and may not be true, but I'm not, I'm not destroyed by it, the criticism, because I'm not living with fig leaves. You see, what happens when you put fig leaves on, and when we live with fig leaves, Nobody really gets to know you because they can't. Because all they're getting is a fig leaf, a covering over you. And there's too many defenses, whether it's denial or hostility or minimizing or blaming or projecting. You know, it's like you know someone gets you know gets fired from their job, belittled by their boss, and they say, what? "I feel just fine." You know what? He said nasty things about me, but you know what? I got fired, but I'm not worried. the least didn't affect me at all. Big fig leaf. And, you know, we end up manipulating life, fig leafing our way through life, leveraging the world to make sure it goes our way. It's one big fig leaf. Judging others. Or a relationship ends with somebody, maybe a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, or a good friend. And, and rather than be sad, say, you know what? Why talk about it? It's a dead issue. with you. It's over. You know, it's a big fig leaf. And, and uh, you know, fig leaves are, you know, I, I, you know, I know people, it's got to have children, more children. More, and children become a fig leaf. Or ma- i got to get married. i, I got to find myself a fig leaf. That'll cover it up. Or how many of us in this room are hiding behind television? I mean, we just get buried. And I love sports, right? I mean, how many of us, we, we can hide behind sports? It's a big fig leaf. Or computers. Or email, or internet, and it just becomes a way to hide. Or reading, you know, romance novels, or watching telenovelas, you know, and uh, speak Spanish. <laughs> Those are Latinos in our midst. Or... I got you on that one, didn't I? Uh, I got you, on that one. you know, are we hide behind our bank accounts and our houses, and you know, technology. But I know, for me, I tell you, my 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 biggest fig leaf is multitasking and being busy. It's incredible. It's just one big fig leaf it's hiding behind the trees. Now, what's really scary about this is you can do it for God. It's the religious fig leaf that's the most sneaky. Because you understand, I, I, can, have a, I can be learning. I'm learning about God. I'm just learning. I'm learning, 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 reading, reading, reading. More sermons, you know. And I'm just, it's an intellectual thing. And, but it, it, it's, it's, I'm thinking about God, but it's replacing being with God. And, I mean, I, I can be in my, my morning, you know, offices, you know, morning prayer, midday prayer. I'm kind of like, I'm doing my prayer thing, you know, i got to get done, read my psalm, you know, I'll do my prayer list, you know, I'm praying. And it's just a big fig leaf. I'm just, I'm, I'm just running through it. And versus being with God and being in his presence. And it becomes just a, a hiding, a way of hiding. And, and I end up trying to control and master rather than just being exposed and naked before God. I mean, just imagine a woman on, on her front porch. Came home from a heavy day's work and says to her husband, listen, honey, I had a really hard day at work. Will you just come and sit and be beside me, you know, for a little while? And uh, I just feel so drained. So the husband comes and, you know, he, he doesn't sit beside her. He just kind of stands in the doorway. And then he begins to pontificate, you know, and just, ah, oh, work, ah, oh, a bunch of, you know, pressers, you know, they're just ripping us off, soaking us and all those big companies, you know, and their CEOs are making millions, you know. And, you know, in Europe they have all, and he just, he just talks for 30 minutes about work. Uh, In Europe, they got much more vacation than we do. I know these bosses, blah 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 blah. They're egomaniacs, and but he never sits down to be with her, and uh, but and he misses his wife's invitation to sit and just be with her. Now, often we don't really take time to sit and just be with God and be attentive to His presence. But I'm telling you, I can be serving God. I can be preparing sermons. And it's all a fig leaf. You're saying, am I getting a fig leaf right now? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully not, you know, but. But um, but I'm because I'm afraid. I'm afraid to be in his presence. And so I find a way to escape from it. And so I'm so afraid that I'll, that, that I'll die if you know the truth about me. You know that feeling? I'll die if you know the things I've done. Or if you know the things that have been done to me. And I feel so naked and ashamed. And so my life is one of fig leaves and running. And I put up this false self. You know, I just—it's just, it's not me. The sad thing is, some of us, we have so many fig leaves on. I mean, we need a jackhammer to get through them all. We got layers and layers of fig leaves. I remember, you know, I tell you, as time goes on and you ponder it, you realize how profound this is. I remember the first time, you know, my wife and I were at a conference, we do these conferences at different places in the country on the emotionally healthy church, and for pastors and leaders, and at one point, you know, Jerry mentioned to me, why don't, we, why don't you put your genogram up there, you know, your your, your life, like on the PowerPoint, like on the, on the overhead, you know, like let them see it, you know, model it, and just said it like flippantly, and I, and I just like realized, I said, well, uh, I'll say, well why, don't you put your, why don't you put your family up there, you know, you know, you know it's like, I mean, it was embarrassing. It was just like shame, you know. And I, went through, I went through all these changes, you know, of like, like putting it up. And, and so I'll never, I'll never forget the feeling of like, like I, some of you know, I was in a program. We actually did a, a full, a genogram is a way of looking at your family history and how it's impacted who you are today. And so this actually is, is my genogram and, um, of my family. It's a partially genogram. And and. and And so every symbol means something. It's a way of mapping out and looking at your family of things like abuse and cutoffs and secrets and affairs and abortions and all the stuff that goes on in all of our families that we're all ashamed of and how it impacts who we are today. It's part of of our emotional health journey, right, going back to go forward. I'll never forget putting it up and just feeling like I just wanted to – I realized the depth of my fig leaves of like, you know, and then I said, wow, am I really able to come out of the trees and just be in God's presence? And my value and worth is just – it's God. I'm not hiding. I'm just being. And uh, you know, it's kind of like felt like elementary school. I don't know if you. Like, I remember like being in third, fourth grade. You know, or second grade. And you know, as a little boy, your, your zipper's open. You know, and in class, and oh, oh, you know, oh, you know, you know, like that. You know, I was like, oh, you know, you want to. You're six years old. You just want to die. You know, you, your whole world is collapsed. <laughs> that feeling of like shame and. And, and then, like, you know, striking out in Little League, you know, and the bases are loaded in baseball. And, oh, did you everybody hear my ear? Pete struck out, the base is loaded, you know. We lost. You know, he's like, oh, you know. <laughs> now, now, you know, it's like, the, the, do you understand that, that the church that it can be full of people with fig leaves? Do you understand? It's, like, it's, a, it's a fig leaf community, you know, and, and it's very unsafe. I mean, Philip Yancey tells this story in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace about a Chicago prostitute who was selling uh, her daughter for drug money that she needed. And she hated herself for it. And so he said to her, have you thought about going to church? And her response was, why would I go there? I already feel bad enough about myself. But what an indictment, isn't it? Because, see, we don't feel safe, but it's hard. If you don't feel safe, you think other people feel safe around you? In a big fig leaf community. And so, this this sin of grasping, it's not just grasping a sin, crossing limits the last couple of weeks. It is also, I'm hiding behind this creative, you know, what's my unique combination, you know, of of fig leaves that I sew together to cover up my vulnerable self so you don't see me. And I hide from you and I hide from God. And it's because I fear, what do I fear? Exposure. I fear being ignored. I fear being invisible. I fear being despised or forgotten or alone. And so what happens? Sin is, as Augustine says, so I turn inward into myself in fear. I would put fig leaves in, and then I go hide in the trees. The scary thing is the trees are good. Trees of the garden they go hide in are good trees that God made. And so some of us, we're hiding behind wonderful things that are gifts of God, but really we end up using them to hide from God. That's why I like the expression, we use God to run from God. It's a very, very easy temptation to fall into. Now, just contrast that for a moment with David. Think of King David. David murders a man, Uriah, commits adultery, marries the man's wife, has a baby with her. Okay, I mean, the guy just blatantly lies to everybody. Then he gets pinned to the wall, okay? This guy writes a song about it, about his repentance, has it sung in Israel for all of history, Make sure it gets put in the history books so everybody reads and learns about it. I mean, how different from a person who hides? I mean, do you realize how radically different David was, a man after God's own heart, to come out of hiding? I mean, in his sin, and just, here I am, and just, not just here. He's just, he, he has captured living in the presence of God. Trusting in the love of God and his goodness, which endures forever, which is nothing like the world, and he's a free man. It's, I mean, you look at David doing that, and you say, how far are we from biblical Christianity. How much have we been bought by the world? Everyone, everyone in the world is wearing fig leaves, aren't they? You go to work, it's one big fig leaf community. We should open up a store. I mean, there's fig leaves everywhere. And then what happens? We just buy into it. And we're just like everybody else. Now, here's the core of this text. The core of the text is oops, sorry, is coming out into God's presence. That's the, the wonder of this text. It's coming out. And you'll see in, in you know, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? See, in this text, God could have just said, you know what? They grasped and they're hiding. Forget them. Let's go try again in another part of the world. And, but what God does is he initiates. The key thing in this text is the miracle is God comes after them. God comes after you. God comes after me and he doesn't come to smash them. I mean, I mean, God be angry? You idiots. You think I can't see through the fig leaves? You think I can't see through the trees? I mean, duh. I mean, he doesn't come and, and like pull off those that false self they put on. He doesn't come and say, "Let me rip that off you." You know and that. Ah. How you like that? You know, I mean, he doesn't do that either. He's just—it's unbelievable. I mean, he comes and he doesn't—he doesn't rub their noses in it. Like how? Do st- you guys see how stupid this is? You're finding your identity in this. I mean, how absurd to find a covering in this? He doesn't do any of that. He—he comes—he comes alongside them to cope with their shame, and 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 he doesn't like he. he Basically, he, he comes alongside, he says, where are you? He knows exactly where they are. He goes, where are you? God says to you, where are you? He says that because he's inviting a response. Where are you? He knows where you are. The question is, do you hear him and do you want to respond? Where are you? And then Adam replies in verse 10, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You see, the point is, He responded. He could have said nothing. God says, where are you? We say, I'm not saying it. He'll never find me. Yeah. But the beauty is he responds. And he goes, you know, you know here I am. You see, and God would, see, they're, they're like us. They're hiding. They're pretending. They're shameful. They're doubting God's love and goodness. They've rejected his care. God comes after them, and God says, come out and expose yourself to me. How frightening. God says, come out from the trees and expose yourself. And then in grace, God does what they can't. See, they can't do. They can't cover themselves. I mean, they've made a covering for themselves. You want to note that. They make their own covering. God says, that'll never work. Verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. I want you to catch this. And of course, this is a, this is a points to Christ because they made garments of skin, an animal was slain, blood was shed for their sin. And God makes the garments of skin, and he, clo- I love the image, he clothes them. It's an incredible image. I, I once was, in, in, uh, was with one of our actors many years ago. In Manhattan, they had these huge warehouses where they, when they make making movies for costumes, they have... They have t- uh, you know, floors of clothing of all these different eras, and I just had this image of like this big fur coat, you know, this huge coat, and God coming and just like clothing me, like I'm coming out, you know, I'm coming out, you know, and God's just like ah, oh, you know, wrapping me in His love and His and His grace, and I want to have a big coat, fur coat, and Jerry says, you know, I kill the animals now, you know, bad message, you know, and, you know, and, but I, I the image of like this will all just come up and just get hugged by you know God and, and, and let Him clothe us. And kind of the, it doesn't tell us that God ripped off the false clothing, isn't it? or the fig leaves, or the false self. And I, I, I pondered, that. I said, you know, he, it seems like that it's a process, isn't it? Like as, we get, as we're living in the love and the goodness and the presence of God, it's like we have, we have less and less a need for this false self. We have less and less a need to project these fig leaves. We get, as we grow in Christ and learn to live in his presence, we just shed all the stuff, and as hopefully as we get older and wiser, and more mature, and we're able to live just in his presence, in his love, in his garments. And yes, we're vulnerable and we're open and we're exposed and, and we're free. And so, God says to you, Where are you? Now, Yancey in his work, Philip Yancey, some of you know, that he's a writer. He it was a season in his life where he met with hundreds of women from several dozen countries. We're talking about 36 to 45, 50 countries. And he traveled and he interviewed prostitutes. And he said, Tell me your stories. And so he just listened, began to record their stories. And he says, It was unbelievable the stories. You know, some women sold at, and some men too, sold at age four. Every kind of degradation, he writes. He goes, And so he said to them, He said, I said to these women, he writes, Of these women, of other women you know in prostitution, how many of you wish, how many of you wish they could get out? Or how many of them wish they could get out? And and he said the universal answer was 100% want to get out after six months. Because he said the first six months, you're treated like a queen. You're given everything. But then they hook you on drugs, and you're required to turn as many as 70 tricks in one day. And so Yancey writes this. I asked these women, explain to me the verse in the Bible that says prostitutes and tax collectors would come first into the kingdom of God. And one of them replied, he writes this, She's what she said, it's obvious. We don't have anybody to look down upon. We're as low as you can get. There's not a mother in the world who looks at her little girl and says, honey, when you grow up, I want you to be a prostitute. We have no one to look down on. So when Jesus comes, we respond. The prostitute who looked at Jesus did not say, I'd I'd like him to be like me or I'd like him to be my client for the night. No, she thought, I want him to free me because I can't get any lower. And she closed with this statement. I mean, who is lower than somebody in a ditch? Now, here's the point. We're all in a ditch. We're all in a ditch. Prostitutes, pastors, addicts, addiction counselors, students, police officers, doctors and nurses, educators, traders, financial investors, CEOs, entrepreneurs, at-home moms, those raised in Christian homes, those not. Most of us spend our lives trying to cover up that we're all in a ditch. We don't want people to know that we're in a ditch. And so we spend our lives saying, you know what, I'm not as good as that guy, but you know what, I'm not as bad as him either. And then we hear these voices. Satan, the accuser of the brethren, come. In the Bible, one of the descriptions of the evil one is he in a law court, he accuses, prosecutes day and night. And and he speaks these words to us like, you think God loves you, he's, he's disappointed in you, you're, you're a tragedy to his name, and when's the last time you even spent some time in prayer, you know, and when's the last time you really read the Bible and studied it, and, and he says these things, right, look around you in this audience, you know, there are so many more people more spiritual than you, maybe they'll pray for you, then maybe something will happen good in your life finally, and you know, of course your prayers aren't working, look at you, and, and English isn't even your first language, how are you going to serve God, come on now, and, and you've fallen 10 times, 15 times. You want to get up again? Again? Come on now. Give up. Quit it now. You're unlovable because you're a mess. And these things happen to you in your life and you were left out because you're a mess and you deserved it. And we hear these voices and, and everything in this just says, we just want to hide. We just want to run and put fig leaves on so no one knows in us. Now, I want you to hear this. Because it's easy to live in number one, it's just easy to live your whole life there. And the invitation of God is, where are you? Come out into my presence. So the most important thing to know is this. One of the most important things to know. Jesus, when you sin, Jesus is with you. When I sin, he's right there with me. But I want to hide like Adam and Eve. I just want to run. I'm ashamed and I want to hide But then when I do finally turn back to him, I find out that I don't have to convince him to come on back. He's right there. He's he's there the whole time. And I don't have to go and convince him with 15 arguments to come back because he never left. The moment I turn, he's there. You see, the question is, when you sin, and you're like, oh, gosh, and then you turn to him and you look at his face, what do you see? What do you see? Now, yes, there's a little bit of sadness there, the same sadness you're carrying, but what you see fundamentally in his, in his look to you is he is love for you. And if you'll look into his face and let him look into your face, what you will lock into are our eyes of love. And that love will transform your life like nothing else. But you got to come out of hiding you got to take the fig leaf off and walk out into his presence and look into his face in the middle of your sin and let him cleanse you and wash you. That kind of a love which the world knows nothing of is reckless and it's, it's crazy by the world standard, isn't it? You see, I was created, you were created to live dependent on God. You were were made to depend on God. You were made to trust God with your life. You were made to surrender to God moment by moment. You were made to be attentive to his presence. See, God's presence doesn't come in and out. His presence is there. The problem is we hide and we're not attentive to his presence. So the key is us being attentive and aware of his presence, which is right there and coming out. So here's the choice. Either I make a covering for myself and I hide, which you can do, or I come out exposed and allow God to clothe me. And i tell you, this is the invitation to a beautiful life. It's a beautiful life because fig leaves and false self and fear, friends, it's a drag and it's exhausting because you show one lie over here and you've got to cover it up with three others over there a very complex way to live and very exhausting. And then you realize, oh, my goodness, Psalm 16, in your presence is fullness of joy. Your love is truly better than life. All of a sudden, those verses begin to be meaningful. Like, oh, wow. I had no idea. I mean, what's the gospel? Christ did two things for me. He forgave me. And God transferred my record to Christ who took my sin and the punishment I deserved for my sin. Right, His blood was shed. But the second part of the gospel is then he gives me his record of what the Bible calls perfect righteousness or a perfect record. Christ never sinned, lived a perfect life. The Bible says it's credited to my account when I receive Christ. And now God looks at me in Christ as if I've lived the life Christ lived. I have the record of Jesus. It's been credited to my credit card account. And God looks at me now clean like I never sinned and he delights in me. That's the gospel. God looks at you and he delights in you. I mean, could you imagine that? Is all you've done, and that, that's his face towards you. That's the electrifying power of Christianity that the world knows nothing of, nothing human, no, no system could even create such a, such a God like that. He's delighted in you. If you know Zechariah chapter 3, he takes off your filthy clothes and you put on beautiful, clean clothes, rich clothes, the garments of Christ, and you live in that place in his presence, trusting and surrendering to him. That is the beginning of the Christian life, but it's the whole Christian life. Now, here's what I want us to do. We're going to have communion in just a minute. But I want us to do a, uh, a meditation. We don't just think about God, but even right now, we would be with God. All of us. We kind of we apply the text. So, in front of you is Psalm 139, verse 5 and 6. It's that famous passage when David is saying, Where can I flee from your presence? Where can I, if I go to the depths of hell, you're there. If I go to the height of heaven, David's realizing, God's everywhere. His presence is everywhere. I can't hide from him. And then, in the middle of this song of Psalm 139, he he sings, this is a song, it's poetry, you hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Now, think of a hem, right? Some of you have hems in your on your pants or your your outfits here, and a hem, you're kind of enclosed inside that. You know, if you fold a you know a hem like this, you're hemmed in. You're you're locked in. And you think of it, you're hemmed in. God's in front of me. God's behind me. God's he's my right, and my left. He's got me hemmed in. The tremendous image. And then the idea of you laid your hand upon me. And what I'd like you to do, we're going we're I'm gonna give, we're gonna have a little meditation on on the word that it might sink into us and that we wouldn't just, again, think about God, but we actually have an experience of God. So I'm going to read it twice out loud more. And I invite you to, you know, ponder it. And I want you to, you know, relax in God's presence, okay? Just just relax, take a nice deep breath, you know, and just be aware for a moment of God's love for you. And just offer yourself to whatever the Holy Spirit might have for you right now. Because God's going to come to each of us differently in this room today and in this passage. So as I'm going to read it two or three times, a word or a phrase might seem to speak to you, address you personally. It's going to draw your attention. And when that does... You may just want to just, like for me, it was like you laid your hand upon me. It's like, I just felt like, oh, wow. And I just I just repeat that over, you know, and just listen for, for any where your thoughts and feelings arise from that. What is God perhaps, when that thing comes to you, what's he offering to you? You want to ask yourself, wow, how's God coming to me in this? And you want to just kind of dwell in his presence around this text. And so uh, I'm going to read it a couple times, and then we're going to have two minutes of silence. That's a long time for some of you. But don't worry about the time. I'll watch it. And just dwell, linger in his presence around the, the meditation. The Bible speaks about meditating on the word day and night. It kind of, You regurgitate it. Let it wash over you and let it go into you. And out of that, God speaks to you. All right? So um, I'll read it twice. And then there'll be some silence, okay? And then you're welcome to look at it if you like or just have your eyes closed and listen and let the word wash over you. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me, to attain. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. All right. Amen. Thank you. Please stand. Worship team, come forward. Now, we have around this room communion tables. And so I want us all to respond to the question, where are you? And the communion table, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist. The invitation is this, to take off your fig leaves, come out of the trees, into the open with God, and let the love of God wash over you. Let him clothe you. And you know, at the foundation of the, your life and my life, whether we believe it or not, is that we are infinitely cherished and loved by God. And when we rest in the center of where loved by God, it's a power to it. We're safe. That's the word for saved. It's a safe place, not a fearful place. It's safe. And so we can let go of our fear and live in radical trust. So at this table, you're going to have a, a piece of bread, lots of bread. And Jesus says, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. It's a gift. Adam and Eve would receive the gift. Just receive it. Let him eat of him and let him clothe you. Then goes, this is my cup, my blood shed for you. Take and drink. It's a gift. And we let it again. We come out in the open and we receive it. We let it wash over us and we take of, of, the, uh, of the cup. So you'll take the bread, you'll dip it in the cup. And At any point, you just, you'll go back to your seat. You can take it as, as we're worshiping. But every communion would remember that I, I, I'm in, I, I hide and I grasp, but now I'm coming out. And I'm coming out to receive mercy and grace and love from God and just eat and drink of him. So I want to invite you to come to the table. And in fact, the altar ministry teams, we're going to move over there this time, okay, to that left the left of the painting, all right. We'll have you over there during worship and, uh, and we'll go for prayer in just a little while too. So I want to invite you, to, instead of going into fear and hiding, to come out now and come to God and trust him. Let him hem you in behind him before and to be attentive to his hand is upon you and come to this table of the Lord by grace alone. and eat. we don't deserve to come to the table. none of us do you come by grace. All right. So I'm going to pray, Lord, we thank you for your loving voice that says to every one of us in this room, where are you? And so, Lord, as we hear your voice in our fear, in our hiding in our fig leaves, by the Holy Spirit's power, Lord, help us get up out of our seat and come and let you clothe us and to receive of you your your body, your blood, your life. Fill us. We need you, Lord. Cleanse us, we pray. So may we enjoy your presence. Surrender to your love. Now, at this table, your table, in Jesus' name. Amen.